Hello, everybody. This is the first campaign diary that uh, I have been promising you with Oz as a as a co-pilot. Oh boy, I'm I'm ready for it. You don't sound very ready. You don't sound very excited. Uh, you know, since the first one, I'm not sure what to expect. <laughs> Me neither. Hey, all right. Uh, you know what you can't expect though is Jark not joining. Ha. It's always one of the two. Right? That's fine. We got Craig. Craig can, can hold down the fort. Yeah, well, here's hoping. Here's hoping. Uh, so we're recording this on January 10th to, I guess, catch a lot of it up. Because while I've done some campaign diary stuff, it was really difficult to remember what I recorded eight to ten months ago. And then remember when I recorded it for which parts of the actual show. And then... Just keep it all straight. So instead, Oz is going to help me keep it straight, and we're going to base this off of the released episodes because we've both listened to them recently, and it'll be fresh in our minds. Sounds good. I like it. Of course, we say things will be fresh in our minds when we're going to talk about the first 30 episodes today. (laughs) Which is about four months back from where we are currently. Yeah, but you know, it's yeah, it's it's been thirteen weeks since well, twelve weeks. It's been twelve weeks since we we've hit this, but it's still pretty fresh. There's a lot of things that happened in that first time. There is. There's a lot of stuff that happened. There's a lot of stuff that we wanted to happen that didn't. And then there is there is a couple of notable changes that got made as we were going through. Um, between pre-episode zero and episode 30. Which, I guess, it... I don't know. Do we want to start with that, or we just want to start going with... Uh, I guess let's start way back at the beginning. Um... And I think the first thing that we kind of changed and adapted, and I'm pretty sure I talked about this elsewhere, but I'm going to talk about it now. The Up until the introduction of Bradley Kelly and that little get-together at Carol's, we had originally intended to do was like a prologue, Patreon-only content, stuff that happened before the show. But then things with Cheshire happened. And that became kind of a big deal, and it didn't make sense to me to release that as something that everybody would not have context for. Okay. (laughs) You say it like that, and it sounds ominous. Oh, no, 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 it's fine. Um, Because, like, with Shadowrun, we had a couple of... Uh, prologue episodes we did the same thing with call of cthulhu and then we were going to do that here and then change we our just mind. yeah we dove right into it now i also recall that we did the prologue episodes for call of cthulhu and then we lost all of the prologue episodes for call of cthulhu so we actually started that uh production in media res because we i think we lost all of the prologues and the introductory mission. So we started like basically episode 1.5 as a pilot. 
Yeah, whenever I talk about it with people, I'm like, skip the first two episodes because they're the Philadelphia stuff. And that was kind of janked up. At least I think the first two episodes were Philadelphia. Um, well, I think, isn't Philly what we were based out of? No, we were based out of Boston. Yeah, up by uh, Miskatonic proper. Um, shit, where were we? I, I yeah. Think, I want to say it was Philly. I think we were dealing with the aftermath of, of the whole thing, which that's not vampire, I guess. that's That should be a campaign diary for COC that we should have done two years ago. Well, mistakes were made. Uh, yeah, this is a work in progress. Yeah. Nobody has ever, none of us have ever claimed to be professionals. What can I say? Indeed. Uh, so yeah, no, we, uh, I guess the prologue was supposed to be Cheshire and we were like, no, no, fuck that. We're just, we're, we're going to go ahead and start in the wrong lane and tamp down the accelerator. Yeah. I was not expecting him to really be a thing. Um, I wanted the, his purpose in being there was to beyond a shadow of a doubt, make the three of you aware that this was a Camarilla holding. You got this guy who's clearly imprisoned by the sheriff. You have all of this stuff in here that belongs to somebody in the Camarilla and you're stealing from them. Uh, yeah. And we did not give a shit, did we? No. <laughs> You've got it into Missy's head because Malkavians have that little like madness network thing. So she had an idea that this was a, Malkavian, and all of a sudden it's like, ooh, friend, friendo. Uh, well, no, you as the storyteller put that in her head as Malkav. I mean, I simply let her know that it was a Malkavian. And she yeah, did. and we kind of went from there. Uh, so yeah, um, it was unexpected for all of us. I do remember thinking at the time, uh, that you're a bastard for doing this to us this early because I did not want to get involved with Sabat like at all. Well, he didn't technically have to be Sabat. He could have just been some other rando, but him being Sabat actually worked out, I think. Uh, yeah, I agree. It did work out. Um, and I just, it, it's not that I hated him, but God, there was so much that I wanted to do that I, that I couldn't. Cause I'm like, yes, I've got this plan and I'll tell you the plan. And then like the next episode, I couldn't enact the plan because he went off and did something fucking else because Malcolm told him he's in danger. Yeah. Premonition is a bitch like that. Yeah, it is. Um, but it was always kind of like, so as we got into November, um, and this skips ahead a little bit to the, the time period we're talking about here. Um, <clears throat> I made it specifically cognizant to be like, all right, you know, this is this day. And I had a date in my head for when Cheshire was going to do his thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, you guys beat that date. So <laughs> good on you guys for not having a, uh, a psych ward at a hospital full of Malkavians of moderate to, high power. Yeah, that would have been terrifying. Yeah, they'd have just run amok. Uh, yeah, no, they would have. Although, I mean, 
I think as as we were doing doing the looking around there, there was some stuff, you know, looking now back onto it. Like, you know, art could have set up some contingencies, you know, just as easily uh kind of set some time delay stuff in the psych ward and make sure the doors would maglock that fail deadly and turn off the water and then, you know, they all go crazy and everybody's then locked in. I just flick the torch button and get the hell out of there. But we didn't have to do that. No, thankfully you didn't have to do that. Uh, and we'll talk more about that on the, uh, yes, on the second, uh, probably actually on the third one, because we got some catching up to do before we get to that resolution. <laughs> yeah, we did. True. Um, what were some of the other big changes from like right at the get go? Was the so I had asked for for questions so that we could answer them for people. Um, and Leo did ask about Art and his his Touchstone, who uh-huh. is Coco's stepmother. Yes. Um, when did we decide to change her age a little bit? Because I remember we talked about it, but we never talked about it on recording, I don't think. Right. We never did. Um, originally, when Art was conceived of as a character and uh, the touchdown came up, I'm like, oh, yeah, it would be on. He's fairly young. Uh, after some reading, I think it would have been. Gosh. um probably by about like episode like 15 or 20, like we had done some significant like work and he was coming off much more as instead of my original thought that he was a, you know, renegade journalist and, and all this other stuff. He's like, he's coming across a lot more as KGB. And then I went back and read the book. I'm like, you know, we can make it work. So, um, a lot of overlaps with underground journalism and KGB. Right. Yeah, and it just it it was making more sense to go that direction, and so it was fairly early that um, the touchstone, instead of being an aunt, became a a differently aged relative. And honestly, it's still kind of in flux because she hasn't come up. Like, really, none of Art's touchstones have come up. Uh, she came up, but not for art. There was Correct. some stuff in Coco's bit that uh, she was in, and season two stuff. Because season one is very much like snap, 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 a bunch of things at once. The coteries on lives are thrown into some kind of question and chaos, and they got to settle that down. Right. And season two is shaping up more. There's a thing that's happening. But how are you guys amassing your power and managing your domain? Where were your allies and enemies come from? Yeah. And it's it there. There's definitely it's it's a definite shift. There's a big shift in, in how we're, we're doing things, which is it's working out pretty well. Whereas, yeah, the first season, it's. We were so reactionary to everything. It was just as as a scheming Nosferatu. Like I'm, I was furious. We'll have that conversation towards the end because right. that was an important conversation that both you and I needed to have. There was a a comment from one of the listeners. Um, I won't dime him out here because I haven't made uh, 
Tell them when I would die, I'm out here. They said that it is cool that I left the out-of-character player check in the bloopers for uh, this particular moment was between Coco, Art, and Missy in the car post the warehouse because things had gotten kind of heated between the characters. And towards the end of it, we were like, you know, everybody cool. We're all good, right? And everybody, you know, gave the affirmation. And we stuck that at the end of the recording because it's important to me that we can have those kinds of, I don't want to say visceral, but uh, elevated character interactions without actually hurting anybody else's feelings. Yeah, no, I, I remember exactly what you're talking about. Uh, once, you know, one, once the recording starts, for the most part, you know, I'm dropping right into to Art's headspace. And yeah, mm-hmm. he was just, he's tired and he's furious. And it just, it's literally the the convictions that he's got that have him on this path. And he's really regretting it at that moment. Yeah. Um and like I like I told them, I'm like I I like to leave those things in and important mechanical things that will come up in the next drop, uh, episode 44. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so, so that people know that we're going through the proper steps, so that when there is a heated scene and crazy conversations, that we're having the the adult mature conversations about solving these potential issues before they become real issues. Um, and that's part and parcel with the conversation that we talked about that we had. Yes. Um, so to answer Leo's question, uh, your was aunt is now more or less a niece, something in that area. Uh, something like that. Yes. Um, niece uh would given her age would yeah that would fit um we've still kept it kind of nebulous like as i like to do right yeah i mean keep it vague let the listeners fill in the cracks you know sit there theorize you know go crazy go conspiracy tell us all about it and then i will pick the best one and say yeah you totally got it you're giving away all my secrets (laughs) yeah i know that's why i recorded beat uh so yeah um she is his his niece and i will throw heavy quotes in there and you can decide where to put them yeah because there's a lot of variables like we don't know what at what age art was embraced yes we do uh we do yeah well it's it's not recorded but okay I was going to say, wait a minute. It's not voice recorded, but that data is on his character sheet. Okay. Um, but my, the the statement I was going to is like, if he was embraced at his later in life, that means that uh, his relatives would also be a little bit older. But if he was embraced young, then he, like his, whoever would be the parent to this niece could have continued to age up and maybe had the niece at like in their forties and then, you know, 45 years later or however long, you know, now it's now art's been a vampire for 70 years. There's a lot of flex in there. 
Right. Um, there's a couple other in the beginning questions, uh, I think here. Um, Lil also asked how old the PCs are. Uh, we have an idea on Jimmy, obviously, because he's stuck in the 80s. Uh, he's been a vampire for 30 years, I think it is, ish. Right. Uh, Coco doesn't count. Missy has been a vampire for about 25 years, and she is 16 to 17. Uh, she originally wanted to be younger, but I had talked to Jupe. I'm like, look, I don't want to, I don't want to be killing 12 year olds. You know what I mean? So that, we, yeah, that didn't end well in interview with a vampire. Yeah. Uh, but like 16, you can start getting your driver's license. You can start having a, a little bit more of a conscious control over your life. Uh, so I don't feel as bad at shooting at 16-year-olds as I do shooting at, like, 12-year-olds. Nice. And, you know, for listeners. That's fair. That's fair. Even though she's technically, like, 40-something. Even Uh, now. Do you want to go into some details about how old Mark is? Uh, Yeah. So, um... We we took a few liberties because of his generation, um, which also was kind of nebulous because we never really discussed it. But they were all essentially it's when you start a chronicle by book, you're typically at the at the lower the I guess higher end of the scale in terms of number. I I usually like to use better or worse because yeah. higher and lower don't get confused yeah. in my brain. Yeah, so we're on the worst end of the scale, but where you know, art basically was at the very end of the scale because the time period at which he was embraced was very nebulous. Uh, it uh, was not long after the war, and he was actually embraced in 1956. So he is like 70, 80, 81. Yeah, he's 70 ish. And so he was, you know, he's had a solid 50 years. So the nice thing about that is it also kind of fits with the idea that the Noths would need to re- rebuild their numbers a bit after the war. Right. Because I can almost assure you that in addition to whatever else was blown the fuck up, some havens were blown up. Just on right. pure accident. Yeah. And like even in the books, like one of the, one of the books, um, the – God, like the Prince of Berlin was just waxing poetic about how good the hunting was during the Blitz. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a a lot of vamps, you know, a lot of licks died during the war. And so, yeah, you're, you're jumping generations very quickly after that. And Art being who he was and where he was at the time, um, very easy to be, uh, to be embraced by a Nosferatu who who likes uh likes a little Eastern European spook. <laughs> um we will also continue to ask, how did art end up in Maine? Uh so I guess it's not as much of a secret now, but he's an organivore. Um I think by episode thirty he'd finally like been on camera eating a dude. Uh I think so. Yeah, because you. Yeah. No, wait. This is Elysium. This isn't post Elysium. Um, 
it certainly came up afterwards when you were we, yeah. we cut to you and you were elbow deep in some dude's chest cavity. Yeah. Um that's right. It happened right after Elysium. That's fine. That's fine. Um y'all have listened to this well before now, so it's it's good. Uh so the reason that art went to Maine is because when the wall fell and a a bright light was shining on all the cockroaches of the covert world in Eastern Europe, Berlin, Prague, Ukraine, you name it. Um, he was not, he was either going to be dusted or he had to leave. And so his sire is like, you're getting the fuck out of here. Go eat people in America where they don't care. And so uh, he brokered a deal. And the deal that was brokered was, yeah, he's going to America, but the last of his living family was going with. And that's how his touchstone made it into Maine. And he's been kind of wandering ever since. Um, I've actually been talking with somebody else uh, and who's also playing vampire, but in other games. And so Art has little bunkers here and there like he's found old fallout shelters places that have been forgotten and he set them up as little hidey holes and he's got other vampire contacts like hey i need a place to stay in atlanta he's like oh yeah sure i have this little place that's under the convention center it used to be here you're going to have to break your arms and shimmy through this pipe that is too small for you and he went back and forth and then he got news that his touchstone was in Maine and he decided to set up shop there. Things happened. And then he got parked in the mall waiting for everybody else to show up. I look forward to uncovering the mystery of the mall. Uh, as, as do I, cause I am continually adding more mysteries of the mall as I sink more XP into my, to my character. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I look forward to uh, letting out some of the crazy ideas that I have here. Fabulous. Uh, and then Leo's last question was, Missy already slightly crazy, or is it all the curse of Malkav? Uh, Missy has a real shitty childhood. Uh, we talked briefly about it in some of the Session Zero stuff and her finishing up Session Zero stuff about how uh, her mom was a whore. Her mom did a bunch of drugs, not really parenting how she was, how Missy was on the streets and stuff like that. Um, and that'll fuck you up. Yeah. Like, I think it's less crazy and more intense trauma. Yeah. That might be one way of looking at it. Um, in addition to that, the, the voices that she hears was, always kind of something there but upon her embrace it became more like they instead of just like some auditory hallucinations they began to develop actual like personalities and stuff uh they became more real i look forward to dumping into some of missy's embrace stuff because uh i have a horrible idea on how it happened and i can't wait for it uh fabulous i have horrible ideas on how to uh make that go forward but that's that's season two shit. You guys ain't gonna hear about that for months and months and months. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not keep sorry. listening. If it makes you them feel any better, it's gotten a lot closer since we had to record 
uh, the Call of Christmas, and that took up a bunch of the not a bunch, not even close to a bunch, but that took up a a couple up, of weeks of backlog. Yeah, it took up six six episodes, basically, three recordings, six episodes. Yeah. Um. So that I think is, unless you have other pre really kicking off ideas, with the exception of Coco being separate. Um. Um, pre kickoff, I mean, my, my goal, and I don't know if anybody's asked that question. I thought somebody did. Well, there's some of the, some of the feedback I think I've seen, um, this will directly answer it. Um, so during the recordings, I try as art to take as as little of limelight as possible because he's an ass. He's, he's scheming. And when, we did session zero, his character creation. I said, I, I don't want to be in, in the limelight doing stuff. I want stuff to happen. And then when the big reveal reveal comes, you know, he does his ghoulish smile and breathes a bunch of smoke out from the shadows. Like it was me all along. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there is, it's vampire. There's, there's a game going on in the background and I'm playing it while everybody else is doing their thing. Art's keeping an eye on it, keeping them solvent, and then he's pushing for something in the background. And occasionally it spills over. Occasionally it makes a little bit of a mess. Just a bit. Cool. Um, How do you think the, the split for as long as we had the split went? With having uh, four or five episodes with just Coco by herself, I don't remember specifically how many she had by herself. I think it went all right. Uh, I it was necessary, especially for what we were doing, because you know we're we're bringing somebody in, and I think that the the will will she or won't she in terms of who is going to to bite her. I think was was the the thing to watch because I remember I didn't know we discussed it, but it was very much under wraps until we did the recording where I was there when she was embraced, and you did the embrace episode with her, and then it was the following week when you and I recorded, and I was there to see it. Yeah, there was time travel editing involved in that. It was pretty great. Uh, hit a button. I'm pretty sure I mentioned it to you, but in her solo embrace recording, there's a whole other like scene afterwards where she wakes up in a trunk uh-huh. because Ricky had come to and thrown her in the trunk and driven back to uh would have driven back to her place. Um, but vampire wake up in trunk tries to figure out how to get out. That's where I learned that you can have Siri turn your light on for you on your phone. Oh, nice. <laughs> because it's like your fingers don't work too good with technology right now. No, they do not. And we had to we had to cut that scene anyway. Yeah. I kind of had the idea, like, after that moment of her, like, 
just kind of in a daze walking back up to her apartment because that's what you would do. And then, you know, imagine her walking in to her busted door and Art and Jamie standing over the staked body of Bradley Kelly and she's just, you know, covered in blood like, what the fuck is this? Uh, yeah, it would have been amazing. And I think while it would have been amazing at the same time, uh, the only thing that it would have kept her alive, I think, would have been the fact that this was a recording and we couldn't kill one of our players off that quickly. <laughs> uh, maybe. And I think also timing wise, we moved a lot faster on that. It was definitely a struggle to juggle two storylines to try and get them to, to come together in a seemingly natural and cohesive way. Right. Uh, the the fresh embrace is a big I, I almost would say trope in vampire games as to how a lot of them start off like LA by night started off that way, uh, with Annabelle being like embraced and turned loose and uh, As as I recall, the first episode was her as a fresh look and the other one's finding out because yeah. she was she was poaching. Yeah, that's one hundred percent how it started off. Um there's another uh, show I watch, watch, listen to called Path of Night. They do 20th anniversary, but they're they're very good. Um, and one of their players was also a fresh embrace, but she had amnesia, ah, which is uh, the storyteller there has done a lot of interesting stuff with that, and I don't know. Obviously, I'm not privy to any of their like session zero or pre-planning stuff, so I don't know how much input the player had on what was going on. Hi, D. Diva says hi, everybody. Hello, D. Oh, I says hi. Um, but there have been some interesting revelations in the several episodes of that that I have listened to. By several, I mean like forty. Oh wow! Yeah, it's a bi-weekly show, so. Oh okay. Uh, I, I'll give you a link. It's very good. Okay. Um. The. Uh, the Shadowrun break-in first job for Carol was a simple thing, so that we could do something that is familiar, because you know all three of you are Shadowrunners, while kicking the tires on the new system. Pretty sure we've covered that somewhere before. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Um, it was also a time to introduce Totally Not Morgana 2. God, Totally Not Morgana. <laughs> um, the big difference being that Carol actually actively was working against the group of you, as opposed to Morgana just being, you know, Having some fun at your expense. Well, their expense. Yeah, you know what I meant. I do know what you mean. Okay. Um, but, you know, she was doing what she knew to do. She was like, I know I have bloodbound Jimmy to the ends of the earth, and we'll continue to keep him that way. God. Right? And by her coming to Jimmy, not only does she know that it can be kept a uh, safe distance from her, but he's, she's also not going to have to pay for it. 
because Jimmy's not going to ask her for boons or anything out of it. Right. He's just going to do it because he's a simp. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, now just Carol fucking Jackson. There's a reason I never just said Carol Jackson in any of the editing I did. <laughs> like everything on Podbean says Carol fucking Jackson. I guess that's a that's a pre-planning thing we could talk about real quick. That in in talking with Tom, and I think this didn't come up in the session zero, but came up in the the solo finishing touches part. Uh, he had talked about his sire, Carol, obviously, uh, being into like street art and doing some of these projects and murals and stuff around the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of worked out perfectly that Coco ended up being a street artist who does graffiti around the city. Yeah, it really did. I thought it was the other way around where, you know, she was the, she was the graffiti artist and then Carol got modified to kind of acclimate that uh from my because i asked tom Mm. and he said that it didn't he didn't remember that and it just kind of like felt fell naturally into that uh relationship that's nice that's really cool it it's super neat because then it's like really organic that when they when the twain shall meet um there's an automatic interest in there from the Toreador ex street artist now does all of this stuff and another street artist like she sees that artistic flair and that kind of yeah it it scratches that Toreador itch yep so that worked out as a really nice way to drag Coco kicking and screaming into this world of darkness ha 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 um. I spent a lot of time being a drug addict girlfriend. That was fun. Uh, some would say she's still spending time being drug addict girlfriend. <laughs> Poor Jade. Poor Jade. Yeah. Uh, nothing super... Well, that's, that's kind of a lie. Um, in Coco's pre-vampire times... Uh, I got a chance to put her to be sire on screen, and that made for a nice little uh, thing for Art to investigate. What with the the priest that was killed, the blood that was vomited up, and then the the bullet holes. Yeah, drowned. and I went the entire entire different direction with that. Yeah, you blame that on Mr. Kelly. Yeah, I blame that on the Ventrue. But Which, I also did get a lot of chance to do a lot of investigation because, like, shit kept on flying at us right after that. Well, that was... Was that before or after the actual party? That was before. Okay. So you had a little time to investigate that before the actual party, which is the first time all four of you were in the same recording. Yes. And then I got my second chance to show off uh, the would-be sire in the premonition that Missy got. Yes, and Art is still giving her shit about that premonition to this day. Yeah. Um, Sadly, Missy never made it to that alleyway, else she would have recognized it, but I know I told Troop that at some point. 
Yeah. So that this way it's, it wasn't like some loose thread that she's got going on in Jupe's head. Missy's head is fine. That place is crowded. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the the whole party situation was orchestrated, I guess, um, because I needed to test which direction you guys would go. Um, setting up a situation where Kelly was supposed to be getting off his accounting means that since he's still on accounting, somebody else is responsible for him. So when he screws up, it's somebody with some actual clout or um, potential usefulness to the coterie in there. And of course, it happened on Carol's property. And of course, going just to the sheriff would be useful. You know, it's like, here, I brought this guy who broke the masquerade in public to to you for appropriate punishment. Um, right. And then there is also the possibility that we just would have been, you know, you know what? You, you're looking like a snack. There was that possibility. There was also the possibility that you helped him get out of town and what that could have meant. Yeah. Um, I think the party was great because it also, uh, I felt like there really was only one direction that we could go because, everything that you've suggested had it had a downside so post party you know that happens it's like okay the world is our oyster jimmy immediately fucks up and gets in a fist fight with donovan on the sire's property yep. immediately with cheshire well you brought a smoking gun to a to a lot of places yeah yeah um so there's that part and then carol fucking jackson says oh well i want him and the second that art hears that it's like no that bitch isn't getting anything yeah and because of donovan and honestly it's like kelly was just being an asshole it's like i'm not letting you get away so you know the only thing that i can do is like all right we brought the smoking gun we're just going to make that part go away and that I was able to sell that to Jimmy so easily uh, was pretty great, honestly. Uh, there's another part to that that I want to talk about, but I can't talk about because it hasn't happened yet. Oh. What? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. So the party is also a situation where occasionally I'll see people, um, they'll talk about they're starting up a game, but they don't, they ask for suggestions on modules or how to set up. And I'll suggest the party situation. And I know I'm going to get shit for this eventually, but I would love to write that out as like an actual little, like, not necessarily like one shot, but like introductory style adventure, the same way that the Delian Tomb was written by Matt Coville. And LVN wrote the the Delian data tomb for Shadowrun, um, because it gives you a situation where it doesn't matter if they catch Bradley Kelly; it matters what they do with him, right? And that, to me, is the more interesting question. Yeah, it's a great springboard into whatever you want to do because it fits so easily into the world. It really does. Yeah. 
the only rider I usually would put on it is you do it around Halloween so that your Nosferatu players can get out and in there and like really get hands on. And you don't have that extra layer of like eh. Yeah. Well there's I I guess I, I haven't really done a lot of research on it, but I guess the NOS aren't quite as much of a walking masquerade violation as they used to be. To my understanding, they are not an immediate violation, but you know, if you hang around too much, you know, you could be like, oh, that guy's fuck ugly, so he better pull his hat down and pull his hood up and not wear a purple windbreaker and pants. Yeah, yeah. Uh, looking looking at the art in the uh, V5 handbooks, like, these, these fuckers are Hollywood ugly. Well... Yes, that's that sounds appropriate. Yeah. Um but it was it, one of the small things on there is as your bane severity goes up, like you're supposed to get uglier. Mm-hmm. But like I'm pretty sure if I were to look at art with his uh stooped situation, his pointy ears, his fucked up face and teeth. Oh, like, yeah. No. I I you know, spoiler, I I made art to be as close to a Krieger strain Shadowrun ghoul full on flesh eater as I could get because I thought that was really interesting. It was a part of an idea I had knocking around in my head. He was originally going to be like a Nigerian warlord who got turned. And then I realized it would be really, really bad graphics or optics to be, trying to play a Nigerian who is an utter fleshy monster. Like, that's no, we're not doing that. So he became Russian instead. It's just a different kind of monster. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I forgot where my words were with it. Where I was heading with this. Well, uh, going back to it, yeah, absolutely put it during... Halloween. Halloween is is a great time for everybody because you know you get to take the mask off and everybody pretends that the mask is on. At least for new licks, the older ones maybe not. They're all fuddy duddies. It also lets you have a cool situation where you get to ask your players what their costumes are because everybody yeah. wants to be like, oh, I'm wearing a black trench coat or I'm wearing a form fitting designer dress or like. Well, it's a Halloween party now, so what are you what are you guys dressing up as? Yeah, and every single Nosferatu is like, I'm I'm grabbing my Bella Lugosi cape. <laughs> I will grab my ceremonial Halloween cape. <laughs> um, cool. There was following on from the party. Uh, Kelly was in the wind, and I had kind of decided that one of the ways you guys would get a clue into where he operates from uh, or why he might be in your area or your spheres of influence is his preferred, as a Ventru, his preferred uh, victim or feeding target or however that is, uh, is he feeds on drug dealers, people who, who sell drugs of some kind. And that's why he frequents a club and that's why when he's on the run and he's trying to stay off the the cams radar uh your little shitty neck of the woods full of drug dealers and miscreants 
it's a good place to lay low because nobody cares about your little corner of the city. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's fabulous. We are we're where all the the sleazy shit happens, and I I guess my question right there, and this is something that you're probably about to like roll into, but all of our drug dealers disappeared. Was he just overfeeding, or was somebody else stepping in and cutting off his food supply? He was trying to scoop people up that were drug dealers and begin the process of locking them away for a couple of days while he blood bonds them because he needed to ensure their loyalty, which is why uh, once... Because, uh, like, as a venture, he also has access to presence and dominate, right? So it's really easy for him to get somebody get them somewhere, maybe tie them up or otherwise incapacitate them, dominate them into wanting to stay there or something along those lines, feed them a little blood and uh, sip it back off of them. Um, so he was just kind of like scooping them up and trying to establish a little place where he can hold up for a couple of days right? to try and figure out a plan. And he didn't want the the drug dealers in the area just kind of roaming around. He wanted to secure those uh, those options for himself, which works out great because Coco said some magic words when she finally got a hold of Ricky. She said, yeah. "I am basically a drug dealer now." And yep, that rang the dinner bell. That rang the dinner bell. It was that self-conception of how she saw herself that enabled Bradley Kelly to feed upon her. And let me tell you how much adventure loves sitting in your shitty area of the city compared to this nice apartment that Coco had. Uh, yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I don't blame him for it. Um, kind of was his downfall though. It kind of was by, Accident and random happenstance. Yeah, it's that's the worst way to go in a story. It's just like, oh yeah, drive by. Don't worry yeah. about it, it's Chinatown. Right? Um so he started doing the same thing to her that he had been doing to all the rest of the drug dealers and dominating them and blood bonding them. Um with the intention of getting in contact with Donovan in order to get some product for his drug dealers to sell so they could continue to be drug dealers so he could continue to feed. In addition to go through Donovan to offer up Coco slash her father as a method of repayment for the mistake that he made. Because Coco's father is a judge, which is why the coterie has had many problems. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's like, what do you mean you're trying to close the missing person's investigation on where my daughter is. No, 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 no. I am a judge. Yeah, no. And, you know, what's worse is that, like, he's not just some, like, regular bench judge. He's got a lot of, a lot of influence, which Art respects, but has also kind of left him hands-off because, and that's, honestly, that can't, that can't stay that way. There's, too much going on but yeah um well you have your fangs into coco so she can kind of keep an eye on her dad a little bit 
Yeah, and you know, my touchdown is also involved, and I haven't really tugged on that string at all. Yeah, we'll see what happens and see what kind of legal trouble you guys might need to get yourselves out of. Uh, In season two. Yeah, there's plenty of that. Plenty of that. Um, So you guys found out about Coco, and you got her... Oh, I'm sorry. You spotted her randomly on a messy crit of a perception roll to see her and Ricky driving by. That's right, because uh, we had Missy out as bait Mm -hmm. because of the drug dealer thing. And so I bankrolled a quick buy of some product, and we were shaking the treat bag, and that's when I got that messy critical. Yep. And at that point, what had happened in Coco's session is that she was going to pick up some drugs from one of Donnie's guys so that they could move some product and make some money. And that messy critical pulled you away from the party of uh, Jimmy and Missy and brought you on to witness the opposite side of Coco's embrace. Which turned out to be the clue that you guys needed to go find Mr. Kelly. Yeah. Because, you know, funny thing, when you're bloodbound, that's one thing. But when you then die, your bloodbound doesn't matter all that much anymore. Uh, no, it does not. And it's because of who Coco is that we didn't just, you know, steak and bake. Yeah, well, two, two because of who she is. One, because she's a player character, and two, yeah. because she is related to Art. Uh, yes, and one of Art's convictions uh, is family is everything. So that is going to color everything that he does regarding Coco. Yeah. And boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. What an adopted child she has turned into. Yeah. Holy shit. (laughs) Um, So that brings us up to... Unless there's crazy stuff you want to ask about that, because I know you just asked about your drug dealers, but I don't know if there's anything else about that situation. You, at one point, said that you weren't sure who was going to do the deed. At what point did you know that her sire was going to do the deed? Because there were, as I recall, there were three parties. There was the the, the sire who won. Mm-hmm. There was uh, Bradley Kelly. Mm-hmm. And then there was Carol fucking Jackson. So... Barring extreme circumstances, it wasn't going to be Carol because I didn't want, regardless of the fact that it would have been the same sire, I didn't want two Toreadors at the table because that feels kind of like a missed opportunity. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, It was almost always going to be a gang girl based upon conversations that I had with Cookie uh, we were hanging out at her place talking about vampire stuff, and I just kind of went through the different disciplines and gave the very like potence is be strong, celerity is be fast, fortitude is be tough, uh, protein is shape shifting stuff, and the ones that she keyed in on as being neat, um, I went into a little bit more detail on, and some of the stuff uh, was very informative of what I should look at. 
In particular, she liked the talking to animals and the shape-shifting stuff. And she also liked celerity, and I think she liked obfuscation. Uh, and that's when I found out about City Gangrel, ah. which, which are Sabat bloodline, and instead of animalism, fortitude, and protein, they are obfuscate, celerity, and protein. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, they are almost exclusively Sabat. So I think it was at that point? Oh no, because uh, Cheshire became Sabat when I came up with the idea, when the idea of introducing the Valdery to you guys became a fun idea. It was like, hey, do this funny blood bond breaking pseudo blood bond ritual. That'll be good. That's yeah, funny. and we kept on just fighting it and fighting it. And yeah. even like out of character, I'm like, I really don't want to go down the Sabat road. I really don't. I really don't. And then like even in character, I'm like, you know, it well, might not be a bad idea. You don't have to be Sabat to do the Valdery. Right. It's just a magical ritual that helps to bring a family together. Um, but more on that later. Yeah. So there was a small chance that if if things went some other way or some kind of crazy way or something uh extreme happened that she would have been Bradley Kelly's childer. Um I don't know, maybe she pissed him off and he frenzied and then he's like, Oh shit, I need her and then he embraces her out of uh like I'm already in deep trouble. What what deeper trouble can I get into? Oh yeah, time to strike out on my own type of thing. Yeah, just I need something to uh to cover things up or something along those lines. But that was that was such a small percentage chance of something happening that I didn't even really account for it outside of the fact that okay, it could happen, but chances are it won't. Um so it was always almost always going to be this uh this gangrel influence in the city. They're also known for just embracing people and dumping them as a part of like a are you strong enough to survive kind of deal. Yeah, that tracks. Um and then mechanically it also is something that we talked about. So in character creation, uh you you pick a predator type on how you usually get your blood, but it says that it recommends for people who were like just turned or really really young vampires that they have not developed these skills yet. And depending upon which predator type you pick, it's a different amount of um different dots and resources. Some come with some disadvantages. Some come with uh, different discipline dots. That kind of thing. Well, as Coco has been a vampire for like 10 minutes, she doesn't have a predator type. Right. But since her sire is a Sabbat gangrel who loves eating people, her generation is much lower than everybody else's. Yes, it is. Which means that Coco's generation is lower than everybody else's. Coco is a, a ninth generation vampire as opposed to everybody else. I think is 12. Yeah, or 12. Uh, which comes with a small boost to her 
uh, her floor of her blood potency. She cannot go below blood potency two, where everybody else is currently at one. Um, to go from blood potency one to two is twenty XP, which is about the same amount as um a predator type will give you, because that'll be like seven XP here for an out of clan discipline. It'll be three XP here for a uh, specialization. Here's two or three dots of some advantages, so that's like nine more XP. Uh, just other little little package deals that they put together for you. Um, so it kind of worked out a little bit there as far as the math. And in 5th edition, generation isn't nearly as important as it was in other editions. Here, the big, uh, the big benefit she gets is if somebody of a worse generation than she is tries to use a dominate power on her, she can just spend a willpower and just ignore it. And we see that happen a couple of times through Elysium for the next campaign diary. Uh, yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Right. But to an extent, everybody can do that. If I try to use a dominate power on somebody, they get to roll to resist it because they are vampires. That's all it do. And if you want, you can spend a point of willpower to reroll some dice to try to get more successes, which is more or less the same thing that Coco can do, except that she can automatically guarantee that success uh, on the defense. So it's like you're both putting out the same resource. It's just the worst generation vampires have a chance to to fail that roll a second time. Yeah. Also, however, if this ever gets out, I guess the, the other mechanical thing I should talk about is um, animal blood and bagged blood is half efficiency for her. So if they are ever in a situation where they're uh, you guys are running on rations or something like that, like she's going to drain a lot more of that blood to get the same effect that anybody else is. Um, and then, should anybody find out that she is of such a low generation and such a fresh kindred, that's a juicy Diablery target. Yes, it is. Which... Because... <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> um, because I've kind of imagined the city as, with a few exceptions, a rather young vampire city. Most of them are in that 11th to 13th generation. I don't remember exactly what it was, but the prince is like 11th generation, I think. Maybe 12th. I don't remember how many steps I went back in her lineage. Um, oh, yeah, because that's the Elysium episode itself when you went back that whole way, and I don't remember. Sweet. We don't have to talk about it this time. Yeah! Nice. Um, about half of that list of her generation while we're on it, talking about it with the prince, uh, our actual canon lineage yeah, I I recall some of those names. So when you were saying it, I'm I'm listening to the to the lineage. I'm like, oh shit, here we go. Now I have to start coming up with my lineage. I mean, that's up to you. That's how much 
Venture or just, you know, venture about things? Well, one thing that's said in some of the later uh, supplements that came out while we were doing this, um, there was a throwaway about the Banu Hakim where um, ethnicity for vampires really doesn't matter because, you know, you can have this Kansas-bred quarterback-looking boy reciting his lineage to his uh, Banu Hakim sire just like at the drop of a hat. So that was just one of those things. Like it's not just the venture who do that. Like it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's part of the, I think um, the disciplining of, of the, the child in the masquerade is know where you came from type of thing. Yeah, no, that certainly is important for a lot of people. Um, but it is certainly the kind of thing that's like the venture would care a lot about it. And yeah. uh, I guess the Bano Hakim and probably the Toreador would probably care more about it if somebody is important along the way. Right. You know, like my, my, my dad owns a dealership, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that kind of covers uh, Coco's embrace situation i've i'm pretty sure i've said this at least in maybe in a production meeting or something but if we ever do a sizable time skip and i give her a the opportunity to choose a predator type i would just give the rest of you a a giant chunk of xp of some number yeah i'm fine with that so that you guys can because like the book states that every like hundred years of activity uh just natural going about your night stuff vampires blood potency goes up just because they are getting older they are becoming stronger and then for every like 50 years in torpor it goes down by one because they're in torpor they're not doing anything and a lot of really old vampires will go into torpor for extended periods of time because as your blood potency gets up it's harder and harder to stay fed and it causes more and more problems for you yeah, and there's also the big meta thing going on. Like in in 5th edition they've really been pushing that, you know, the the better your generation gets, the more likely you 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 pack up and get the fuck out. Yep. Which you know the generation that's usually really uh where that kind of starts about ninth? About ninth. So Fancy that. Fancy that. It's something that I don't know how much I want to bring up, at least not yet, because, you know, she's only been a vampire for like six months. And there are some crazy things that some other canon vampires have done to avoid it. Um, Mass Diablery. There is some uh, some magical bullshit that makes you immune to blood bonds. Uh, it's the, the Book of the Grave War lore sheet, I think like the fourth or fifth dot, something like that. Um, as long as you do the follow its teachings and shit, you're immune to blood bonds, um, which could be possible or at least theorized to work. There are reports of people like elders blood bonding themselves to younger kindred so that sure they feel a pull to go, but that blood bond helps keep them here. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, who knows what else? I'm sure you could 
look into doing shit with mages or fey or demons or yeah well, there's that oblivion but... stuff too yeah uh in the cults of the blood gods book it says that the hakata do not feel the beckoning which they don't explain why but they just did a whole giant pseudo ceremony magical bullshit to bond all the various necromantic bloodlines together under the the singular clan banner and killed off a whole shitload of them uh yeah i think they i don't know if i think they ate him too but they definitely murked uh giovanni i possible um one of the things that is great about vampire lore is that most of it's written from an unreliable narrator perspective yeah we are all definitely unreliable as vampires so it could be i think it was said that like in the 20th anniversary edition, they were talking about the Lasombra attacking their antediluvian and how uh, somebody went in there and it fought him and then they came out and they just kind of smiled at one of the other guys. And it's like, well, well, shit, did you just diabolize him and then create a new problem for us? Right. You know, so even if somebody did eat Mr. Giovanni himself, uh, there's no saying that Mr. Giovanni is not just riding around a new meat suit. So, who knows where that problem can take them in the future. Uh, but anyway, Coco uh, gets her embrace, gets found by everybody. This is kind of a little bit of a part where I screwed up a little bit. Um, there is a mechanic that if... If a vampire feeds off another vampire, the hunger is one-to-one unless there is a greater than two points uh, blood potency difference. So if you're blood potency one feeding on like a blood potency four vampire, it feeds, it gets you an extra dot of hunger filled. So instead of one-to-one, you get two-for-one. And it works the other way around, where if that blood potency four is trying to feed off this blood potency one, it needs to take two hunger for one hunger because Coco was embraced with such potent Vitae, I had her role to randomly determine how hungry she was going to be when she wakes up that first time, which was not at a level that would cause a frenzy. Um, the book isn't clear on when you wake up, how hungry you should be or anything along those lines. And maybe the frenzy would have been good. Yeah. I think it would have been, I mean, we kind of pushed her there. Yeah, we pushed her into it. But yeah, like, I think if she had woken up and been like, yeah, no, I'm fine. Let me the fuck out and refused to eat Ricky and, you know, kept kept Ricky as, I guess, her ghoul at that point or would have been. Uh, He was a two dot drug dealer contact. Yeah. So if if we had, I, I think we would have started a lot earlier doing some research into uh, her sire specifically, because there is some stuff that I as a player didn't catch that Art probably should have, because he knows a lot more about vampire life than I do. Um, and so I didn't follow up on it. And so as things progressed, there was 
several moments of oh shit i should have thought about that what have i done on a player's on a player scale and not i mean arts always like that as a vampire is like god damn it right i think some of her hesitancy was in addition to it being you know her in-character friend but also the out-of-character two-dot mechanic which i then one of the nice things that vampire likes to say is that it's like hey uh you can by investing XP and buying actual dots for things like contacts or resources or whatever you do, it gives them a level of plot armor where, you know, if you just went and ghouled some rando off the street, fine. But, like, I could have that rando get killed or lost for any real reason, you know, that that fits the narrative and the story that's going on. But if you spend XP on them, they're... They're a lot safer. They're an investment. Yeah. And even if something were to happen to them, that over some game time, a replacement for them should show up. You know, if you get in a situation where you got to spend a shitload of money to buy a plane, fly a whole bunch of people someplace else, set up a place, like, over time, that money should start to flow back in to to reestablish where your dots were. Um, which is a really nice way of them allowing you to get temporary free power in that, oh shit, I need some some stuff, let me go ahead and ghoul a bunch of security guards and not have to, like, force you to spend on them. Uh, yeah, so being, you know, that, that's, that was a good thing that you open that up because otherwise I think you probably would have tipped your hand a little earlier than you wanted to. Or maybe right when you wanted to and you're kicking yourself that we missed it. Uh it wasn't intentional, it was accidental. I had hoped that her clan would have stayed secretive more. But you know, then she frenzied and had monster hands, and that is very indicative of the gang girl. That's like what they do. Well, I mean, Art was also right there when she got sired, so yeah. But there's a couple of different clans that can learn protein just innately, and then uh, stuff. He he assumed it was gang girl, just like right off. It's like, I yeah, mean, no, that's that's a vampire yeah. dog. Yeah, no, that's 100 percent legit. Um, I also really like, like, obviously, uh, Cookie knew what was going on, but the twist that we, or I guess I kind of put on it is that her sire drained her and then left her there with enough juice left in her that she could make that choice to drink. You know, the sire just kind of sat there with the blood offered, and then Coco went for it. Yeah, I thought that was really neat. Because um, then it's her choice and stuff. And we can talk more about Sveeple in the second one of these, because that's where a lot of her stuff comes up. Yeah, that's true. And the second one will probably bring us to current, so after the next couple of episodes come out, which I think I know where. Uh, I haven't done 44 yet, but things after, after 43, things kind of speed up because 
we we had to engage quickly after doing what we did. So yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that more in the next one. Yeah. Uh, then we got into some of Coco's education, which um, uh, I'm still raw about that. There was a lot more that I wanted to do that I just couldn't because Tom was like, "No, Jimmy's gonna do this." What the fuck every time. <laughs> like what specifically? Uh, anything. Like I literally, as art, did not get to teach her anything at all besides like the stuff that she needed to know for Elysium, but like how to hunt all that basic stuff about being a lick. Um, uh, every time I'm like, yeah, art's going to do this thing. And she's fucking off with Jimmy getting blood bonded. I'm like, God damn it. Like every time. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Carol's a bitch. Yeah. So that was, uh, Honestly, that was also part of the reason like, I think you and I had that discussion, because that was one of those really fucking frustrating things of like, ah, this is stuff that I want to do, and I can't, because I get cock-blocked every time. Fang-blocked. Yeah. I, I could see that, because Art was trying to take some uh, parental ship role. Um, yeah, I ended up being an absentee family. father. Womp, 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 womp. Uh, but she got to be Cheshire. She got to meet Chunky Butt the Rat. Fucking Nosferatu doing Nosferatu things. Uh, yeah, and um, you know the the barons of the city getting to to play the game too is I think really cool because it it throws in an extra layer of intrigue that legitimately the coterie doesn't see and art sees a little bit and i'm hoping we get to do more interactions like that uh, well, in the future uh there is some stuff um i have a so i sat down with the barons and i actually talked about some things that happen after 45 okay um and there's actually like a role play scene involved in there, and oh, so I get to listen to that. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! I love it. I need I need to find out, um, because it's a little timey wimey, in that I proposed the situation to them that was probably going to happen to get their feed on it, and then to uh to see where things went. Okay. Vagities are fun to talk in. <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, I'll be excited to listen to that one then, because yeah. um, as as a player, like I know we have barons. I know more or less who they are. Um, I'm very grateful that they're all playing with us, and I hope they're having a great time. And... I don't I don't know what their machinations are right now. I know that I've been fucking with at least two of them. So <laughs> I would like to know more. <laughs> well, so the Venture Baron of the city, um I had asked for a sacrifice back in the beginning of somebody that was low on the totem pole, not important, that kind of thing, to be who became Bradley Kelly. And we sat down and we we talked a little bit about here about what um 
to what layer, to what effort would the sire go to get them back? And then, uh, I think it was, I asked the question if the sire, because like there was a time where you were talking to the sire and I was typing direct messages to somebody. And, uh, playing a little telephone to get the information mm-hmm. to him. Um, and I think that's when it was like, you know, would you accept the Bradley Kelly back in order to wash away this, uh, this incident? Yeah. It's like, how far would the sire go? And then we go and just gift wrap this present, drop it in his lap. And it's like, you don't have to do anything. Yeah. And I really enjoy having them here, and I'm very thankful that they are here and participate. You know, I go and ask them something, and they will have answers and stuff. Because this way, I don't know everything that's going on. Sure, I I do in the way that the stuff they tell me gets translated into the game, but not in the way that's like... If I had to manage Four Barons, Walter the prince, the sheriff, and all of that stuff, some of that would get left to the side, and not all of it would become relevant or um, have the Coterie's best interests at heart. Right. I mean, even as it stands, there's still a lot that falls by the wayside. Yes. Uh, I think that's just a a matter of how, how slow we go in some situations. Yeah, and how psychotic we kind of are when we split the party four ways. Yeah, and recently the holidays and the extra recordings and stuff we were doing. Um, but like, uh, I asked Abishai if he would send spies after you know stuff happened, and he was like, "Oh yes, oh very yes, right." I need to do something about that. I mean, just about invest in a bunch of cats. I, well, we we did a thing, and uh, I believe that was part of the transition from season one to season two. So I can't talk about that yet. Correct. But at the very least, part of the domain is secure against spies. Yep. Um, there are more things coming up that obviously, uh, it's not time to talk about yet. Uh, yes, and I will also say that the things are coming up. What you're going to hear on the Raw for our Patreon subscribers, thank you, by the way, uh, and what is going to end up happening, uh, I think we'll, you and I, BAMS, are going to have to have a conversation semi-recorded about how those changes are going to be made, because when we did it, it felt half-assed, and I want to make it good. You're talking about the montage? Uh, not the montage, but the the last bits of um, uh, pre-montage. So uh, call it the climax of the season. Okay, we can definitely talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, Mystery. Right. Uh, and I think that takes us right up to... Basically Elysium. Yeah. And Elysium was a big thing that I was excited for because uh, it's a big deal. I got to introduce a lot of NPCs. Um, I'm a big fan of Raven. 
like Raven a lot. Yeah, I do too. Like I am both Art and I are big fans of Raven, and Art knows it's going to get him in trouble. Oh, it's can't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about too. Yeah, no, I yeah. Um, I guess we talk about some of the NPCs just in general for a little bit. Um, I have some details on a bunch of them that are just like loose things, like uh, I guess is there anything we have to talk about before we talk about spoilery stuff? I don't think so. You don't think so? Okay, good. Uh, give me two seconds. I'll be right back. All right. Yeah, so there have definitely been some changes made, and uh, there's going to be some cool stuff happening uh, up to and including the end of the season, and then we'll move over into season two, and the shift that happens is also kind of neat. But we'll, it's been it's been a blast recording and, and coming up with this as art and you know coming up with the beat. Uh, that was another thing that I was really excited about was like, oh yeah, I could actually do this podcast and then I could get over like my extreme social anxiety and, and my executive dysfunction and I could do this thing. And then I didn't up until the night before it was due uh, as, as you do. And so that's when the first episode of the beat came out. So I'm going to try and do four of those. I had completely not realized that you did that after the episode of Art saying that he was going to do it. Yeah, and in the bloopers, you said, even that that is exactly what was going to happen, and you predicted it precisely, was I edited the episode, I posted the episode, and then I wrote the beat, and then I recorded the beat. Yep. There are some of those predictions that we have made that I've like, shit, this is totally what I'm doing right now. And it was. And it was. It's like, hey, future me. I'm like, fuck you, past me. Yep. Um, so to get into some spoilery stuff about a couple of the NPCs, which, if you don't want to listen, thank you for your support. I look forward to doing some of this conversation to cover up to current, uh, when next we sit down. Uh, give them a moment to go ahead and Turn off the recording if we don't want to talk about spoilery stuff. Right. And, all right. Spoilery stuff. Yeah. Uh, starting at the top down, the prince. The prince. I, I wanted a younger prince because it just felt like old princes are not fun. Right. They're, they're set in their ways. They've got plans within plans. And the current prince, like, we still know next to nothing about her. Um, one of the spoilery things I'm working on is like, I'm art is doing his research as he does. And he's making slow discoveries throughout the, the, the seasons, but you're finding out that she's such a, a worse generation, like on the level with them. It's like, Holy shit. That puts a lot of her activities and what she's been doing into a new light. So mm-hmm. She when she took over, a big reason that, and this is something that I cover, like we've talked about in the, uh, in the session zero stuff. I talked about in the, the mechanics and the lore primer that I did with, uh, Chris the Primogen and Matthew Dawkins, just as like prior to things. Um, but as part of her rise to power, 
was the agreement that those people that became the barons would get to mind their own business. And she would grant acknowledgement as prince to everyone in the city, which is more or less how Missy slipped through being as young as she is, physically as young as she is. Because otherwise, you know, the Camarilla usually has a problem with that. But when the prince is like, everybody is cool, starting now. And then we'll deal with it as normal afterwards. Uh, it's a big power move, because now it's also, if anything goes wrong, it's her fault. Right. But the idea was, now we can say that Springfield is a Camarilla city, even though it technically has five barons at this time. And... No real primaging council or any of that kind of stuff. And this basically keeps people from coming in and ruining their fun and having the Camarilla send Justicars and Archons and real big shit kickers in to just ruin the place. Because nobody wants that. It also makes it more interesting to play from a, uh, a player perspective and a storyteller perspective because you don't just have a Camarilla city or an Anarch city. There are little pockets of different things. Um, so she is of the younger generation. She is more open to, I guess, negotiations and compromises than some of the someone who is much older would be, because she her grasp on the city is not firm. It is not. And that's kind of uh, originally before things happened the way that they did, I had kind of kicked around the idea of having her getting killed off. But then the stuff with Carol talked to Carol getting killed off happened. So like, well, now it just doesn't feel good to kill a second person randomly when you already have one uh important to the coterie influential vampire get killed. So I didn't want to repeat that. So the prince gets to live. That's fine because we've got other stuff now going on. Got that other stuff going on. Takes that place. The sheriff was given the position of the sheriff because he was leading some of the uh anarch uprising. Like he was a big spokesperson about the anarch shit under the previous prince who was a big hard ass. He was one of those people that was not fun to work oh, he, under. He was an old prince. He was an old prince. And Vinny the Fish was not happy because uh, Bruja, duh. I, I also am not happy with Vinny the Fish, so that's fine. That's he can fine. be unhappy. So it gets into the situation where Okay, you want to make sure that this place is run well? You get to be sheriff. Now it's your fucking job. Yeah, uh, and he he fucked around? He found out? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Um, in addition to the barons, the barons also put forth some other people of important positions. Uh, Elizabeth the Gangrel Hound is uh, not related to... Well, she was made by the same guy who made the, the Gangrel Baron. 
So she is a, an additional NPC that is not somebody that I have complete control over. Ah, I see. That's why we haven't seen a lot of her. Uh, that's part of it. And she's also in a similar position with Raven where they're both kind of uh, people who work underneath the sheriff. Even though at this point, Raven's position is very unofficial. Right. Uh, trying to remember the names on the rest of them, but there were t- there were two hounds and two uh, two talons under Carol uh, that were made by the barons as just extra people. I I don't think we ever saw all the talons. No, you, you interacted more or less directly with Carol a lot of the time. That she yeah. Well, it's Jimmy's fault. It's Jimmy's fault. They're around. They're in the city. Um, don't have a lot to do. Well, so they're doing a lot of, right now. Now that Carol is dead in in current timeline, uh, they're doing a lot around the city to try and clean up that mess and uh, Asterix. They have a little assistance with that that has not quite made it to to air yet. Diva is very distressed that I'm sitting on the bed and she does not have. Uh, an easy spot to sit on it or not getting enough pets one or the other that is why i have a pillow next to me and leland is sleeping on it rather than howling for food so i get you mm, yeah um raven was brought in uh specifically at the sheriff's request because uh technology be do be a change in and uh, it do need somebody who is familiar with technology and that he feels like he could trust, which after some time he decided that that was Raven who, uh, let me tell you, I've probably known that girl when I used to go to the club in the Philly all the time. <laughs> so that's, that's where a lot of my inspiration for her outfits and her, uh, her comes from because I knew that girl. Okay. Well, that'll be terrible for you when she gets dusted then. Wow. Hard for you to dust what you can't see. Uh huh. <laughs> um, Sal, we haven't done a whole lot of, uh, he's just kind of there for, Random item acquisition and money laundering. Yeah. Uh, so this... Uh, is there anything you want to talk about before I get into the super spoilery part that is probably going to be its own thing one day? Um, anything else I want to talk about? No. No, because any of the other spoilery stuff that would be in this realm is pretty much the interim between one seasons one and two. So that's way in the future. Cool. All right. Last chance for anybody still listening to pull the ripcord and get out. Once again, I thank you guys for your support, but I'm going to talk about something that has not come up for a couple of episodes still. It may be something that you suspect, but it has not come up in perpetuity. Perpetuity is not the right word. It's not come up in factuality or on camera. And even supersede some uh, some season two stuff. 
but I think I talked about this with Oz before, so I think he knows this particular thing. Uh, I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about, yes. Okay. So uh, thank you guys for listening. you got a couple of seconds to get out here before I start talking about spoils. All right. Madam Fina. Yep. Okay. So, um, handling, one thing I don't really like handling in game all of that often is NPC sexuality and, to a lesser extent, gender identity. Um, it's a very complicated topic. It's a very personal topic. And it's one that, as a straight white dude, I don't have a lot of space to really comment on. So I try not to because it's not my business. Kind of not true, but kind of true. Like, uh, I'm going to give a, a positive, not a positive thing. I'm going to give an example here. Um, one of the podcasts that I was listening to had, uh, a couple of NPCs that in a behind the scenes episodes they talked about listed said NPC was transgender. And I'm like, I never knew because they had always referred to that NBC as she had always carried along that way as though they were a biological woman. And I had never known. Um, specifically with Madame Fina in her first couple of appearances, I called her out as a trans woman because it's going to become important because of things that I'm about to talk about. And because it's, I'll get to that in a second. Um, the reason I don't like talking about NPC sexuality is because I don't really want to roleplay like flirting with you all of that much. Sure, you hit on the bartender. Great, have a nice day. You know, uh, you want to seduce the dragon? Why? Why did you think you were going to be the top in this relationship? You know, as the dragon grabs you up, flies you off to its mountain, and then you know you're never seen again. Um. So going around and thinking about the different uh, sexual orientations of various NPCs, like, is to go back through them. Is the prince straight? Well, if you dug into her history, you would find out that she had a husband at one point. But what does that mean to a vampire, you know, 50 to 100 years later? You know, are you bored? Do you want to try something new? Like, what are your options? Like, especially when dealing with vampires, like, I don't know, is art straight? Does anybody uh, care about that anymore? That's that's a great question, and it's as another straight white guy. Um, it's not something I I don't think anybody really wants to get into the romantic proclivities of Arthur Subcheck, a flesh eating ghoul. Right. Uh, I'm I'm sorry if that's your kink. DM me. We'll work something out. But that's. For for me, it I don't think it it matters. Like, can a monster feel love? Um, I guess you know we kind of have to. That's what convictions are and stuff. But you know, gender identity wise, he is male. What he's attracted to, personally, I have no idea because Steve I think Ray. if he's if he started thinking about it, he would go insane. He's he's it's like mm, delicious organs. Pretty much. Um, 
But to get this back onto to track here, and this goes back to Missy, because Missy is forever trapped in the body of a teenager. In my exploration of V5, uh, I'm on a couple of different vampire servers and discords, things that we're talking about. Um, thin Bloods occasionally comes up, the idea of transgender Thin Bloods, because there is a... Um, Thin Blood Alchemy Formula, had to remember the, the terminology, uh, called Profane Heros Garamos, something like that, PHG or PGH or something along those lines, that allows the Thin Blood to make this potion that when the person drinks it, pass rolls, yada, 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 it allows you to transform your body in such a way that you meet a more idealized version of yourself down to like all of the bits and pieces that that comes with. So every once in a while, when it comes up on the discord and people will bring up this idea because of this thin blood alchemy formula, I always try to tell them to roll it back a step, like roll it back before they, uh, they drank this potion and became their best self. Because to me, that's the more interesting journey, right? You don't want to find the character when they've accomplished all of their goals. You want to watch them get to those goals. And this is something that I tell people with a lot of characters and concepts that they come up with. It's like, all right, that's a cool idea, but what if we took it two steps back and watched them try to get to the uh, the multi-million dollar or millionaire step that is resources five? What if instead you took resources three and then worked to get up to that in play, stuff like that. So Missy being this forever teenager put the idea in my head that, hey, this thing exists. And if Missy were to drink it, what would idealized Missy look like? What would presumably female adult Missy look like? So that is specifically... That is why I specifically called out Madame Fina as being transgender, because at some point in the near future, as a thin blood, questionable surprise there, she is going to work out this this formula and will uh, go through a metamorphosis into her idealized form, which is part of what those frogs are for. Yeah. Uh... So when the frogs came out, we hadn't talked about that. And it was not long after that we did talk about it, because this is this is well known to me, obviously. Uh that's why I'm still here. And I'm I'm being spoiled because I already was. But yeah, like after listening to the episode, I'm like, oh shit, the frogs, of course. But you also going full Jurassic Park with it. Yeah, and then doing um, the first time around, having gone through it, like, oh, frogs. I'm like, this bitch is an alchemist, doesn't she? Yep. So I, it's the most organic way I could think of to put this opportunity in front of Missy with having it feel organic and natural. Yeah, we need to lean more into that. Well... Uh, at yes. some time in the near future, before season two, Jimmy finds out that she is a thin blood. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was not a recording I was part of. So, 
No, it was one of the solo episode things. Uh, I don't know at which point it was. I don't think it was... Because there was one where he went back to his... No, it wouldn't be that. There was a solo episode where he went back to talk to his family and dealt with them. And I don't know where I saved it. So I have to see if I can find it. But, mm. you know, the show must go on. Um... So I hope in that situation that uh, I am doing a tasteful representation of her. Yeah, we're trying. We're we're trying as hard as we can to be respectful here, but we are old white men, and we're being overly careful. So yeah. thanks in advance, and sorry in advance. We're if if you've got constructive criticism, please let us know. Um, Indeed, we want to make sure it's done right. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to be insulting. We're we're monsters. We're but vampires are monsters. That's why. So we don't want to be horrible people. Exactly. Um. It also puts the coterie in an interesting position because she is a uh. What's the word? unacknowledged thin blood in the city and thin bloods in the city are in a very precarious position. Yeah, they are. Like the the Tribier Baron loves them. Not not loves them, but like probably exploits them horribly but doesn't kill them. Um So there's room there, but would you really want to give up your a member of your community? Well, I mean, the spoiler alert: if if she's an asset, Art's not going to let her go that easily. So, that oh yeah, no, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, and Thin Bloods could do some crazy shit. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it's just you know, when's she going to get the finances and stuff, and like uh, whether or not you're going to track down her sire. Uh, let's just say Sire Search is a big watchword for season two. <laughs> oh yeah, that aspect. I forgot about that part. Uh-huh. Yeah. Took me a second to realize what you were talking about. Um, I know who Madame Fina Sire is. That is something that has been generated by the, uh, words by the barons so whenever that information is suitably located through various efforts uh yeah uh, i think the problem there is that a lot of a lot of the scheming efforts are done by art and i've had to enforce like a three scheme limit per season because otherwise I've got too many, too many uh, hats that I'm juggling too many irons in the fire. Yeah. And uh, honestly, like you see it very quickly into this, this season, like it hits me hard and I end up not getting nearly as much done as I wanted to. Oh, we never talked about that conversation we had. Uh, We did not. Let's talk about that next time because I think that had to happen after Elysium. Yes, it did. 
So it would be that's when it would be canonical anyway. Yeah. Um, I imagine most people are still listening to this anyway because they don't care too much about the in-depth spoilers. But right. Um. Yeah. Cool. Uh oh. Um. One of the merits that Thin Bloods can take is uh, discipline affinity, which allows them to actually have disciplines permanently instead of in their like weird ways that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she totally has a an auspex affinity, so she can actually do real premonitions and shit. Oh, that's fucking fantastic! Right? That's also the idea of her being a fortune teller. Also influence that decision of the thin blood thing because of the auspex thing into doing actual uh stuff so fun stuff it absolutely is I'm gonna lean over here and grab my phone real quick as uh if there is nothing else I uh find a way to get rid of Craig uh, actually, I think I can get rid of him. So, since I am sitting at the desktop, uh, I think the only other thing I've got, we've said it several times over the course of this recording, uh, especially at every spoiler break, but, uh, for everybody listening, thank you for listening with us. We've been having a blast doing this. Uh, we hope you've been enjoying listening to it as much as we enjoy putting it together, editing, sending it to me, editing it again, adding sound effects where we can doing additional recordings um we've gone really really heavy into this season we're getting like deeper into things as we we usually do um this is a lot more of a story and a lot less of a game i think than previous things were like we've got some definite shit that we want to get done and everybody's got their own plans so um i've been babbling for like two hours now but yeah, that's why I was like, we should, we should probably break this up into yeah. the first like half of the first season. It's going to be a nine hour campaign diary. And that's 1932. We got to episode five. So, there was a, there was an L5R campaign diary type thing that the people, what they did was they took the, cause it was for the one shot network and they took the whole, I think it was like the four hour one shot that they played and they played it while doing not quite riff tracks, but like discussion over top of it about things and stopped the recording at different places. It was yeah. really cool, but not something we could do because of the speed at which we uh, operate, which is glacial. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, unfortunately, I do break character before I do the director's commentary. <laughs> David doesn't like that. Uh, no, that's fine. People who listen do. That's what counts. I I do think, and I do truly believe, especially our patrons who uh, who help support us here, that they like our pace because we're not trying to we're trying to tell the story. We're not trying to get through the game. Right. It is, and we have those games. You know, Alien, Call of Christmas. Those are we're playing the game. We're getting through it. We're we're playing that to the hilt. This is a story. Yeah. So, yes, uh, again, we appreciate you all listening. Um, we're going to be doing more of these, obviously. This is two hours. We talked about the first 30 episodes, maybe. Uh, something like that, yeah. 
it basically says up to Elysium. Uh, the next one will be further in, obviously. Yeah. It'll probably be Elysium to... What do you Maybe. want to say? 43? Forbidden Slurp? Uh, well, if we do it in February or at the end of the month, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, it'll at the very least to be current. Yes, it will be current. So whatever that comes to. Uh, thank you guys for doing this. You guys are literally the reason that the show continues to go on because you are the ones that help support us. Yeah, otherwise we'd just be five jackasses playing a game and it would not have lasted nearly this long. No, instead we're just five jackasses playing a game that share it to a lot of people out there. Yeah, so thanks for listening. Thank you guys for listening. I'm going to get rid of Craig before we keep saying thank you. Uh, Yeah. All right, bye, Craig. Thank you, Craig. Thanks, Craig.